as we read the passage for us this morning. We are continuing the study of the eight Beatitudes, and this morning we are on Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. It is written, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let us commit this time to the Lord. Our Father in heaven, we give you our hearts, we give you everything in us, O Lord. We surrender our very life to you. And I pray that as you speak to us through your word, especially through this beatitude, the second beatitude, Lord, help us, Lord, to focus on what you want us, O Lord, not only to learn but to apply in our life. And may you be exalted in our midst. We know that you are always strong, you are always holy, and that will never change. But we are people who are weak, people who are so much dependent upon you. So we beg you, O Lord, to speak to us and help us, Lord, to listen very well to your teaching to all of us. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. You may take your seats. What was the first beatitude last time? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I forgot to mention this last week. Because of all the eight beatitudes, the first one and also the last one, which is in verse 10, are the only two beatitudes that are, uh, that are mentioned in the present tense regarding their rewards. So, in verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Present tense. While the intervening beatitudes from verses 4 to 9, all of them are in the future tense. So I'll give you an example. Verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So it will be in the future. It's not always in the present. So only the first and the last Beatitudes are in the present tense, while the second to the seventh are all in the future tense. But this morning, I'm going to talk about happy are they that mourn. Sorry, it should be Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Happy are they that mourn. We're going to look at this word mourning. What does it really mean? Does it mean just weeping, wailing, crying, lamenting? and so on. There's a purpose for this morning that we're going to look at in the Word of God. In Psalm 55, King David had been in a tremendous kind of stress because of some enemies surrounding him, especially his kingdom. And some of the enemies are not necessarily outside the kingdom, but some of them are inside his kingdom. And if you look at Psalm 55, the last few verses, you can see that a friend of his actually betrayed him. And you know, that's the most, that, I think that's the worst experience that you can have as a person who experiences mourning or sorrow or sadness in your life. Because if your best friend will be the one betraying you, that will be a tragic experience for you, right? Imagine your best friend that you trust so much, then in one situation, he betrays you and you get mad at him. You start to hate him. And here in Psalm 55, as you can see in that passage, King David wanted to escape from this troubling situation that he was in. So verse 5, he said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Sometimes we are like King David. We just want to escape the reality of the troubles and problems in life. And some people would say, I would like to go to, go to heaven right now because I don't want to experience all these trials, all these difficulties in my life. And then further on in verse 7, he said, Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Now he said, I just don't want to escape, but I want to be in the wilderness alone. I don't want to be with other people. Do you feel that way also? When you are depressed, when you're discouraged, you just want to feel alone. You don't want to talk to any person. Even to God, you don't want to talk to. 
That's what David was experiencing. He wanted to be alone in the wilderness. And in verse 8, verse eight he said, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Are you right now in the windy storms of life? Are you in a tempest? Like you're in so much trouble, you have so many difficulties in life that you cannot bear them anymore. You're overwhelmed. And that's why the point of Christianity is this. When you're at the end of your rope, where do you go to? You cannot go to any place or any person. You cannot trust yourself. You cannot trust anybody else. But you can trust God. And that's what King David said at the, at the end of Psalm 55. So we see here in these verses that we have just re read that David shows to us the cry of each one of us, the cry of humanity, the cry to escape, the cry to have freedom from all kinds of trouble, the cry to be released from all, from all the burdens that is weighing heavy upon our shoulders. We wish that we could escape from all these troubles, like escaping from the snowstorm, escaping from the thunderstorm, which is outside. But you know what? The deeper your sorrow is, the deeper will be the stress, the pressure in your life. And the worst is that you become despaired, you become discouraged. And when you are discouraged, it seems that comfort is so far away from you. And that's why this beatitude, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted, is a great blessing to many Christians. Throughout history, as I've been talking to you since last week about the Beatitudes, the basic principle of the world is that when favorable things happening in your life, that will bring you happiness, right? If you are rich, if you are having no health problems, no, not any other problems, perhaps major problems in your life, you are blessed. But when you are not having favorable things in your life, that will bring unhappiness or sadness or sorrow. But that's the principle of the world. In the world, in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's opposite. Let's look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 25. Here, the Lord Jesus Christ was talking to a multitude, and especially to the Pharisees. And Luke chapter 6, verse 25. Let's start with verse 24. Because this is like the opposite of the Beatitudes. You know, the opposite of the word blessed is cursed. Or in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, the opposite of the word blessed is woe. So in verse 24, Jesus Christ said, But woe unto you that are rich, for you have received your consolation. Then verse 25, Woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. So in the kingdom of Christ, it's always the opposite with the world. And because of that, he has turned the teachings of the world upside down. And that's what we preach. That's what we teach in this church and in the kingdom of God. So our main idea for this morning is this. As kingdom citizens, we ought to delight in our deep grief over sin because God shall comfort you. So this morning that I'm going to talk about, morning, it's not morning about anything else, but it's morning over your sin. Morning over your sin. So we're going to look at four things this morning. First, what is the meaning of mourning? Then secondly, how do we mourn? Then thirdly, how do we know that we are truly mourning over our sin? And lastly, we're going to look at the result or the reward of mourning over our sin. So let's go to the first one. The meaning of mourning. There are three types of mourning that we can see in the Bible. We'll have the improper kind of mourning or the inappropriate mourning. We have the proper way to mourn. And we have the third one, which is the godly mourning that is being talked about in our passage. So the first one, the improper mourning, is about this. It refers to the sorrow of those who are frustrated in fulfilling evil plans and lust or who have misguided loyalties and 
affection. So what I mean here is that these people who are expressing improper mourning are people who said, oh, my criminal intent or my evil intents have been frustrated. I'm so sad that I was not able to do the evil plot that I have for this person. Let me give you an example. 2 Samuel chapter 13. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, just take this down. Uh, we don't need to turn to that passage. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, there was this um, um, son of um, David. His name was Amnon. He fell in love, at least in love in quotations, because it's not really love, but it's lust. He has an incestuous and unfulfilled lust towards his stepsister, Tamar. Okay? And then, because he had this lust towards his stepsister, he wanted her to sleep with him. So he made some plans to do that. But in essence, initially, he was not able to fulfill his plans. So that's why in 2 Samuel 13, verse 2, he said, I'm so sad, I'm mourning, I'm grieving that I'm not able to fulfill my evil plans. That's an improper mourning. Mourning because your evil plans have not been carried out. Improper mourning can also be seen in the life of King David. When he carried his legitimate sorrow for his son Absalom to illegitimate extremes. So now let's turn to this, 2 Samuel chapter 18. At this point in time, Absalom had rebelled against David's kingdom. So Absalom wanted to become the next king and to usurp the throne of King David. In 2 Samuel chapter 18, starting at verse 33, the Bible says, And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept, because at this point in time, he found out that Absalom was killed in the battle. So he went up to the chamber, and as he went thus, he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. It's appropriate for King David to mourn for the death of his son. But he took that into an illegitimate kind of sorrow. Uh, let me tell you why. In verse 1, chapter 19, next chapter, it was told Joab, Behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom. And the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people. For the people heard say that day how the king was grieved for his son. And the people got them by stealth that day into the city, as people being ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face, and the king crowd cried with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab came into the house to the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved thy life, and the lives of thy sons, and of thy daughters, and the lives of thy wives, and the lives of thy concubines, in that thou lovest thine enemies and hatest thy friends. For thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived, and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. So it became an illegitimate kind of mourning or sorrow because even though he was crying for his son Absalom, at the same time, he was neglecting his own people who defeated this rebellious son of his. So that's an improper mourning according to the word of God. Because just like what Joab said in verse 6, David loves the enemy and hates the friends who delivered him the victory. So that's improper mourning. So what is the proper way to mourn? In Genesis chapter 23, verse 2, Abraham lost his wife Sarah. The loss of a loved one is an appropriate way to mourn. It's okay to weep when a loved one lost. And that's part of human life. God does not judge us or criticize us when we weep for our loved ones. And especially 
in Psalm chapter 42, verse 1 to 3. When we feel separated from God, we feel lonely. Have you ever experienced that? When you are in deep trouble, whatever problem that you are experiencing, it seems that God is so far away from you. That's what Psalm 42 is saying. He is longing for God. He is like the deer panting for the brook, thirsting for God's presence. And sometimes we are, if we are so much focused on our problems and our troubles in life, we are thinking that God is so far away from us. I remember that one song by uh, a, an, uh, a lady singer. He said, God is watching us. God is watching us. He's watching us from a distance. That's the way people see God. He's watching us, but not over the distance. Yeah, Beth Midler, Brother Ronnie said. But he's not watching us over the distance. We will see later on that he's alongside each one of us. That's why his strength is perfect. When we are weak, he is strong. We need to depend upon him. That's why, as I've said last week, the very first beatitude, blessed are the poor spirit, is the foundational beatitude of all the other seven that we're going to discuss. Because if you're not poor in spirit, if you're not humble enough, then how are you going to mourn over your sin? Thirdly, in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1, Jeremiah was crying out loud. You know, Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. Weeping prophet because all throughout the 52 chapters that he wrote in the Old Testament of our Bible, he was crying, but he was not crying essentially for himself. He was crying for his people because his people had been preached with the word of God and they've been told that God is going to judge you because of your sins. But you never repented. And that's why he was crying out loud for his people. There's too much sin in Israel. And there's no much difference right now in the world. There's too much sin. Every day you see in the news crime. And sometimes mass shootings almost every week. There's too much sin. Are we even mourning over the sin? or the sins of all the people in this world. Jeremiah did, and that's the proper mourning. Another example of proper mourning is when you are concerned for the welfare of other believers. In Acts chapter 20, verses 31 to 38, the Apostle Paul was talking to the Ephesian believers, especially the elders, the leaders of the church. And he tells them, for about three years, day and night, I've been weeping. I have so much tears for you because I know false teachers will continue to flock into the church. And I pray that those false teachers will be cast away from your church because that will destroy any kind of church. Do we cry when we see people out there in the streets or in, on the, our television, in the internet, teaching falsely the word of God? There are so many false teachers. Are we warning over the presence of those false teachers? When your son or loved one is, has fallen ill, in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, it's all right for you to cry. At this point in time, in Mark chapter 9, 24, a father brought his demon-possessed son to, to Jesus Christ, and he was pleading to Jesus Christ, heal him, please. My Lord, I want him to be healed. Perhaps you have a child or you have a family member who is ill, either physically or spiritually. Are you crying out to the Lord? Are you mourning for that person so that he or she could be healed? In John chapter 11, verse 35, which is the shortest verse in the Bible, do you know what it is? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And in Matthew 23, 37, when Jesus Christ saw Jerusalem while he was at the outskirts of Jerusalem, he said, 
I'm weeping over you, my people, because I want to gather you as a hen gathers his chicks. As God wants to gather his children, but you would not. God's people would not want to be taken care of by God himself. Are we mourning over sin? Are we mourning over all our own sin and the sin of other people? Jesus did. And I pray and hope that we're going to mourn over sin. Sometimes, instead of mourning over sin, we are laughing at sin. Perhaps when you're in the workplace, some people are talking about jokes that are not really pleasing into our ears, but we just laugh with them. They insult people, they criticize people, they laugh at people, and we join them. We laugh with them. That's not what God wants us to do as Christians. He wants us to be mourning over sin. We need, he wants us to confront those people and tell them that that is not right in the eyes of God. So, how can we know what is godly mourning? So, let's turn to Psalm 51, and this is what true godly mourning as the Bible says, Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4. At this point in time, King David wrote this passage after he committed adultery and murder against Bathsheba and Uriah, and of course, against God, because he offended God. In verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 51, this is what he said. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and does this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Picture King David during this time. He was down on his knees. Actually, his face is on the ground, not even able to talk to God or look at heaven, at the skies crying out loud to the Lord God and telling God, I'm going to acknowledge my sins. Adultery and murder, I have offended you. I have rebelled against you. That's true godly mourning. Mourning over our sin. Even in Job, let's turn to Job chapter 42. Just the book before Psalms. At the end of this chapter, uh, of this book, chapter 42, in verses 5 to 6, Job said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know, the Israelites and the, in the Old Testament, God's people, when they mourn over their sin, they put on sackcloth and they put ashes on their head and upon their whole body. And that's a picture of repentance. They want to turn away from the sins that they have committed against the Lord. I don't, I'm not saying that you do that. We don't do that anymore. But the Lord God wants us to confess and ask forgiveness of all our sins when we committed a great sin against Him. Just like Job, just like King David. So godly mourning is about deep agony or grief over our sin. And sometimes we express that by crying, by wailing or weeping. Whatever method that you use, but God wants us to mourn over our sin. But the point of our mourning over sin is not to focus on the sin that we have committed, but focus on the God who forgives us. So let's go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. So get ready with your Bible because we're going to do some Bible drills as we go through this passage. Romans chapter 7, 24, 25. Before 24 and 25 of Romans chapter 7, Paul was saying, you know what, Roman believers? I want to do something, but I end up doing another thing. I do, not want, I do not want to commit any sin, but I ended up commi committing sin. And that's because the flesh is still 
in Paul's life. The flesh is still in each one of us. And that's why with our own power and strength, we cannot overcome sin in our life. So in verse 24 of Romans 7, Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? His answer was that, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God with the flesh, the law of sin. So when we mourn over sin, we do not focus on the sin. Yes, of course, we confess the sin to the Lord God, but we focus on the God who is able to forgive us. Because when we focus so much on our sin, we will end up discouraged and depressed. God gives us the good news that we can be saved and be forgiven of all our sins because of Jesus Christ. So secondly, how do we genuinely mourn? What are some ways that we need to take, some steps that we need to take in order to mourn genuinely over our sin? Okay, the first thing that we need to do is to eliminate all the obstacles. Eliminate the obstacles or the hindrances to mourning over sin. In Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 12, you don't need to turn to that, but you can write down the passage, Jeremiah 18, 12, as I've said a while ago in Jeremiah chapter 9, the people of God were told to repent from their sins. Otherwise, God will judge them. But you know what the people of God said to Jeremiah and to God himself? Oh, we don't believe you. We will continue doing what we want to do. We will continue to sin against the Lord God. That's a great hindrance. That's pride. They thought that they have never committed sin against God. So they love sin. They hold on to sin. Sin is their idol. And that's one thing that you need to eliminate in your life in order to mourn over your sin. Despair is another hindrance to mourning, genuinely mourning over our sin. Because when you are in despair, when you are depressed, you give up on God. You say that, God, not even you can help me in my depression. Not even you can help me deal with the sin in my life. A third hindrance is conceit or pride. When you hide your sin from God, of course, we cannot hide anything from God, but you try to hide your sin from God. You'll say, just like the people of Israel, there's nothing to mourn about. I didn't... I didn't commit any kind of sin. So why should I confess? Why should I repent? But the Bible says in 1 John 1, if you say that you have not sinned or you're not committing sin, then the Bible says you are a liar. Because everybody still sins, even if you are a Christian, even if you are a pastor, even if you are the greatest preacher in the whole world, you are still a sinner. That may be astounding to all of us, especially if you are here today. You say, well, pastor, I'm not a sinner. I'm not like the criminal on death row or a criminal who killed lots of people or stole expensive things in the grocery store or in the jewelry store. I'm not a sinner. But the Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have violated the laws of God. If you know the Ten Commandments, go one by one in those, in those Ten Commandments. And if you violated at least one of them, the Bible says you are a sinner in the eyes of God. Thou shalt not know other gods before me. Thou shalt not, know, thou shalt not worship idols. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother and so on and so forth. Any one of us have committed sin against at least one of those Ten Commandments. And the Bible says, if you violated one, you have violated all the other commandments. And that means you are not perfect. You are a sinner. You have violated the law of the Lord. And that means you need salvation. You need forgiveness of sins. 
So if you're here right now, you know that you are a sinner. The Bible says you are not perfect, you are a sinner. You need to be saved. The only way that you can be saved is through Jesus Christ. The Bible says he died on the cross. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. The Bible also says that if you call on the name of the Lord, you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you turn away from your sin, you accept the gift of eternal life, then you shall be saved. You will be going to heaven and your sins are eternally forgiven. Another hindrance to genuine mourning over our sin is presumption. So this like pride hiding our sin, but presumption is like this. Yes, we know sins are bad. It's an affront, offense to God, but it's not bad enough. Well, God, I've committed some sins uh, right now, but I don't think it's bad enough. Just like in my old religion, in your old religion, remember that? We have the venial sin and the mortal sins. Remember that? Venial sins are the sins that are very light, not serious. You don't need to really confess them to, to God, but only the mortal sins. But the Bible did not differentiate between one sin and the other sin. If you committed a white lie that's equal or similar to adultery and to murder, well, you might be surprised and shocked, but that's what the Bible says. Sin is sin. Sin is not just a mistake, an error. So many people say, to err is human, and to forgive is divine. Yes, of course, that's true. But we need forgiveness. We cannot make an excuse because of that saying that it's okay for us to commit mistake. It's okay for us to commit sin. God, especially all of us, God wants us to live a holy life, a life that is patterned after the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to mourn over our sin. Last one, what, what else that we need to eliminate? Procrastination. How many of us here are procrastinators? Okay, raise your hand. Oh, just five of us? Wow, all of you are so good. You're, you're not a procrastinate, right? You don't put off things for the next day. Sometimes we put off confession of our sin also. Oh Lord, uh, today I'm okay. I'm not going to confess my sins at the end of the day. Probably I'll wait for next week. I'll just let it accumulate. Is that the way we deal with the holiness of God? Is that the way we respect Him and honor Him as the Lord of our lives? Of course not. We want to respect Him above all because He is the God who saves us. We cannot procrastinate and put off our mourning over sin. Eliminate hindrances. Secondly, study the Word of God. Study the Word of God about sin. And for my class next week, and also I believe with Brother Elmer's class, I asked him to study Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a, a good study about sin, about confession of sin, forgiveness of sins, and everything else that points to sin. So you study it. If you're not able to come to the church around 9.30 next week, study Psalm 51, and you will see how it works, how to mourn over our sin. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, when Isaiah saw the Lord God in his throne, you know what he, what he said? The only thing he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe unto me. You know the word woe? As I've said a while ago, it's the opposite of being blessed. I'm cursed because I'm a man of unclean lips. Sometimes, when we commit sin, we always compare ourselves to the other person, right? Well, I've committed sin in my life today, but my sin is just less worse 
than this brother or sister of mine. So I'm okay. I'm better than this person. But of course not. When we sin, we cannot compare ourselves to the other person. When we sin, we should compare ourselves to God and God alone. Because He is holy. He is perfect. He never commits sin and will never ever commit sin. And He should be our, our, our comparison at all times. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, that Jesus Christ came to save all sinners. And Paul said, of whom I am chief. Can you imagine Paul, the greatest preacher in the New Testament, who wrote about 12 or 13 epistles or books in the New Testament, telling us, speaking to us right now, if he were alive, saying, I am the chief. I am the worst of all sinners. All of us are like Paul. We are all sinners. I always say, we are all sinners saved by grace. Saved by grace. So we cannot go to the lost people and say, Oh, you are a sinner. You deserve hell. Unless you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. We cannot judge and criticize them as sinners because all of us are sinners also. Apart from the grace of Christ, apart from His cross, apart from His death, burial, and resurrection, we are still lost. Jesus Christ is the only one that keeps us saved and forgiven of all our sins. So study the Word of God about sin. Sometimes we always talk about, oh, how can I make this decision? How can I be, be wiser? in my everyday life those are good things but have we studied the word sin in the bible and applied that into our life lastly to genuinely mourn we need to pray pray just like king david in psalm 51 again read the whole passage he was praying to the lord psalm 51 was his conversation with the lord he was telling god god wash me truly completely so that I can be cleansed of all my sin. Eliminate the hindrances to your mourning, study the Word of God, and pray. Thirdly, how do we know if we are genuinely mourning in the eyes of God? There are two questions that you need to ask yourself. First, ask yourself, am I sensitive to sin? When someone sins, or I, if I sin against the Lord, Am I sensitive? Do I get down on my knees right away and ask God to forgive me of my sins? Do I confess my sins to God? Or do I procrastinate? Or do I tell Him, Well, God, this sin is small. It's okay. It's nothing. I can deal with it. I'll just talk to you again when I've committed a greater kind of sin. Are you sensitive to sin? There's a negative example in the Bible. In 1 Samuel 15, the king Saul, the first king of Israel, was told by Samuel and God to kill the Amalekites. That's a commandment from God. But he ended up sparing the cattle, the good sheep, and also the king of the Amalekites. But God said, kill all of them, sparing not anything or not anyone. But King Saul spared the king and also the good cattle, the good animals of the Amalekites. And in verse 30, let's turn to 1 Samuel 15, verse 30, because this is very important for us to remember as we genuinely mourn for our sin. And let, let us be the judge whether King Saul really mourned over his sin or it's a different kind of mourning. So 1 Samuel 15, verse 30, Saul said, I have sinned. Okay, that's right. But look at what he said later. Yet honor me now, I pray thee, before whom? Before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So is that true repentance? Is that true mourning over sin? Of course not. Yes, he said, I have sinned, but you honor me before people. 
He was not about honoring God. He was about honoring himself before his own people. You know, King Saul was a, a perfect example of a person who is, whom we can call as man-pleaser. Man-pleaser. He was never a God-pleaser. All throughout his kingdom or, or reign as, as a king, he was always trying to please people. You know what the problem when you please people? You cannot please everyone. You may please me, but your neighbor, you may not be able to please. Why, do, why don't we just please God? It's easy to please God. You follow his word, you honor him, respect him, you study the word of God, you please him. And he never changes. Even our best friends that we try to please, there will be times that our best friend will never be pleased with us. So why are we here trying to please people? Well, the Bible tells us to please God rather than men. It's easier to please God rather than men. Are you sensitive to your own sin? Are you sensitive to the sins of others? Let's look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 136. Did you know that Psalm 119 is a chapter in, in the book of Psalms that talk about the Word of God? In every verse, all 176 verses, it, all, it always talks about God. In 136 of Psalm 119, this is what the Bible tells us. Rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. When people are sinning against God or when a brother or sister is sinning against God, do we cry for them to the Lord? Or do we just laugh? Or do we just ignore their sin? That's not the way to mourn genuinely. Next question you need to ask, First one is, are you sensitive to your own sin and the sins of others? Secondly, what is your sense of God's forgiveness? Do you know that God's forgiveness is so essential in our daily life as Christians? People say that, well, pastor, I'm already a Christian. Isn't it that all my sins, past, present, and future are all forgiven? Yes, that's true. So why, did, why does the Bible say you still need to confess our sins and to be asking God for forgiveness? Because our forgiveness of sins, the past, present, and the future, when we were declared righteous by God, when we trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's our vertical and positional standing. God looks at us as perfect individuals. Why? Because Jesus Christ lives in us. But in our day-to-day -day life, which is that we call the life of sanctification, God sees us as still imperfect human beings. And because we are still here in this world, we are still in this flesh, and we still commit sin, our practical standing, not positional, our practical standing is still not perfect. That, that's why every day, especially at the end of the day, we come before God and confess our sins and seek His forgiveness. What does it mean when we do not seek forgiveness from our sins in our daily life? Does that mean we lose our salvation? Of course not. Again, we will never lose our salvations once we are saved. But what are we going to damage? What is going to be affected when we don't confess our sins? It's our fellowship with the Lord God. A great example that I always use with this is a parent and a child. When your child violates your house rules, or whatever rules that you have established, if he or she violated your rules, what will happen? You will be displeased. Sometimes you get angry. You discipline your child. So there will be a consequence because of what your child did. But the relationship is not affected. You're still parent and child. 
and that will not be lost. But your fellowship, your communication may be affected temporarily. That's the same with our God, with the Father. When we sin as Christians, we will lose the joy of our fellowship because He is holy and we are not and we have committed a sin against God, then He is offended with us and He is not pleased. He is not happy. He is not smiling at us. He's frowning at us when we sin. So the joy of fellowship is affected. And that's what King David said in Psalm 51. So please read that. He said, restore, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Salvation is not lost when we sin against God. But the joy. And you feel that, right? When you sin against God, you feel guilty. You feel that kind of sadness. And it, you feel that you are so far away from God. But when you're okay with the Lord, you're walking rightly before Him, you're so happy, and God seems to be by your side at all times. But of course, God will never leave, by your, leave your side. It's always you who is distancing yourselves from the Lord God Himself. So what is your sense of God's forgiveness? Do you treat God's forgiveness as holy as God is holy? So lastly, what is the result of genuine mourning? Blessed are the they that mourn. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The word comfort here is not just to give you some kind of consolation, but the word comfort means to call someone near to his side, to invite, to speak to the person. So when God comforts us, this is what he does. He comes alongside, uh, he calls us alongside him, and he speaks to us. What are the messages that he speaks to us when he comforts us? He challenges us, and that's what we call exhortation. He challenges us to do what is right. He encourages us that despite the troubles that we are experiencing right now, especially the sin that we have committed, we can be forgiven. And also, one of the most important things that he tells us when he calls us along his side, he teaches us. He gives us instructions. And where do we get that? Of course, again, from the Word of God. So when God comforts us, because sometimes when we talk about comfort, we usually talk about a person that we, we can lean our, our head upon their shoulders so we can cry upon them. No. God, as a comforter, will also speak to us and give us instructions and challenges to live a holy life. So we see here, the emphasis of the comfort is not the person. The emphasis of the comfort is that God is the one who comforts us. 2 Corinthians verses one, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 says, God is the God of all comfort. He is the one who challenges us, encourages us, and instructs us. So the point of blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted, is that the comfort comes from God. Where do you draw your comfort? When you feel discouraged, where do you go to? Whom do you go to? Usually we go to your best friend, to your spouse, or to anybody else, so that you can cry upon their shoulders. But as Christians, God wants us to take our greatest comfort only from Him. Of course, at the end of this world, when we are ushered into eternity, Revelation 21 verse 4 tells us that God will wipe away all the tears from our eyes. There will be no more sorrow, no sadness, no more mourning. Not even mourning over our sin. But that will be in the future. That's why in the present time, we still need to mourn over our sin. Genuinely mourn over our sin. In conclusion, how can we apply what we have learned so far this day? So let me give you two important things. First, Express your deep grief over your sin and the sin of others. And that's the purpose of mourning. 
And then, once you mourned over your sin and the sin of other people, follow the example of King David. Psalm 51, verse 13. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. So you see here, two things that will happen. When you mourn over your sin, then God wants you to teach other sinners about God, about Jesus Christ. Share the good news to them. And by God's grace, they will be also converted unto the kingdom of Christ. So you see, when you mourn over your sin, God can use you as his instrument of salvation for other people. So I pray and hope that we are going to follow these examples that we have studied this morning. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that there are so many examples of mourning in the Bible, but the most important mourning that you want us, O oh Lord, to do is mourning over our sin and the sin of other people, O oh Lord. Not laugh or mock or insult those people, but deeply and sincerely be abhorrent, be sad, be sorrowful towards sin. Because sin is a great affront towards your perfection and holiness. We want to please you always, O Lord. And the only thing that we can do, the best way to do that, is to mourn over our sin. And thank you that you are the God of all comfort. You're the one who always speaks to us and gives us directions, gives us encouragement and challenges in order to live a better Christian life. So thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have pardoned us from all our sins, past, present, and future. But in, in our daily life, Lord, Lord, as we sin, you continue to forgive us. So thank you, Lord, for the grace and your love and your mercy. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Let us all